But it is actually difficult because I don't really know what people want or even what they need. And sometimes people ask me, and I don't really know what I need. And sometimes I don't even really know what I want. But isn't it great that God knows exactly what we need? And he knows deep down what's really going to satisfy us. God is the best Christmas gift giver uh, ever. In Matthew 6, 8, it says, Your Father, your Heavenly Father, knows what you need before you even ask Him. That's really incredible. And uh, Matthew 7 says, If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven? That's the kind of gift-giving Father we have. And then in James, of course, he lets us know that every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. God's the best Christmas gift giver ever in the little, uh, you might say, stocking stuffers, the little, uh, little blessings throughout the day, the, the little uh, smile, the sunrise, the unexpected uh, gift. Stocking stuffers from God. But he also gives the profound gifts that resonate in our heart of hearts and transform us. Gifts so wonderful that we're afraid to even, even ask for such a thing. He gives those kind of gifts as well. But often these biggest, most profound gifts uh, are hard to notice. They come in unassuming uh, wrapping. We don't uh, recognize them right away. And so over these next few weeks, we will be unwrapping the gifts of Christmas. We're going to unwrap the gifts that God has given us and uh, embrace them and recognize them and celebrate them together. So on this first Sunday of December, we, we start uh, Advent in unwrapping these gifts. If you've been with us the last uh, 29 weeks, <laughs> we've been studying the book of Mark. And maybe you're thinking, wait a minute, we can't leave Jesus in the tomb. <laughs> That's where we, we left him last. And uh, you are exactly right. Uh, he doesn't like to stay in the tomb anyway, um, as you know the story ends. So... We're starting Advent, and we're finishing Mark today. Because uh, the events of Easter that we'll talk about today and the end of Mark um, are the reason for Christmas. Good Friday and Easter is why Jesus was born. In the middle of uh, Mark's gospel, uh, he tells us this. It's kind of a key verse in the whole book. He says, uh, the Son of Man came. Well, that's Christmas. You know, why, did, why was Jesus born? Why did he come to earth? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Last week, we saw the horrific beauty of the cross and how it provided the gifts of salvation and forgiveness. And today, we're going to look at the resurrection and the gift of hope what we deeply, deeply need. Hope is what you really want and what you really need. And biblical hope is not uh, like this uh, foolish optimism, like, oh, I hope I win the lottery, or, you know, I hope this, I hope that. But biblical hope is a confidence in the future that transforms our outlook in the presence. 
It's a certainty that God is telling the truth about what will take place. And that certainty transforms how we see our lives right now. A confidence that no matter how bad things seem, there's number one, there's, there's meaning and purpose in it. And number two, there's a happy ending for those who love Christ and follow him. And so our, our gift number one is hope. And our big idea, if you're following along in the notes, is this. Because of Jesus, you can experience hope. And hope is made possible by the resurrection. The fact that Jesus is very much alive. As we finish the book of Mark, we'll be in the last chapter, Mark 16. I think this is around 8.53. And I think I had a little dyslexic moment a couple weeks ago and mixed up the the numbers. I wasn't sure why everyone was laughing, but I thought, hey, that's a, that must have been a pretty good joke there. But uh, in those pew Bibles in front of you, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, you can find that on page 853, I believe. So remember the setting, if you've been, been following us in, in Mark, where I'll catch you up just real briefly, is last week we looked at the horror of the cross. All, all that was packed into that moment. If you took the, the collective tragic experiences of everybody in this room and you squeeze that into one 24-hour period and put that all on one person, um, that's the kind of things that Jesus experienced for you and for me on the cross. And then we saw him sealed in the tomb, but we know that the story is not over. In a few brief, straightforward paragraphs, Mark records the most glorious turn of events, the the resurrection, Christ coming back from the dead. But he also, in just a few words, and uh, as he he quotes the words of the angel messenger, he, he drives home the two major themes that we've looked at throughout the whole book of Mark. We've looked at these two questions that keep reoccurring throughout the book. And the first one is, is who is Jesus? <laughs> it's maybe not what you thought. And the second is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What's involved in being a disciple, being a follower of Jesus? And so there's all kinds of things, uh, all kinds of hope that uh, the resurrection brings, but we'll focus in on these two this morning. Two ways that the resurrection offers hope. So as we... Uh, just kind of step into this passage, uh, notice how it flows from a hopelessness to sort of a confusion to a sense of, of wonder. And uh, maybe you showed up today in a state of hopelessness or confusion, and my prayer is that you would take that journey to the wonder of hope in Jesus. Verse 1. When Sabbath was passed... Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. A a very simple statement, but it's hard to grasp uh, the darkness and heaviness of this moment. Uh, This is Saturday after sunset. Um, It's a little confusing, the the timing, since typically they talked about the day beginning at sunset. And uh, so... If you're trying to follow along, figure out what day it is, that, that helps. So they'd already waited um, through Friday night and through the whole Sabbath, and, uh, and, and now it's uh, sunset on the next day, when the markets would open up briefly again and they were able to buy the spices because the Sabbath was over. It's emotionally 
and literally quite dark. <laughs> the sun has set. Um, their, their master, uh, they saw him die and sealed in a tomb. Their hopes were dashed. They'd seen Jesus' limp corpse carried off and laid on a shelf in a tomb somewhere. And now they just waited. Verse 2. But very early on the first day of the week, see, now it's Sunday, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Imagine just kind of the confusion. They, they don't even know how they're going to anoint Jesus' body uh, because they saw this big stone rolled in front of it, but they're just trying to, you know, do what they, what they know. They're in a state of grief, and, you know, I don't, how we're going to open it, I don't know what we're going to do, but they just want to honor their master in this way by, by anointing his body. And then it continues to change. Verse 4. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It, it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. <laughs> they were, you know, dumbfounded. They were quite amazed and surprised. Uh, Mark just calls this guy a, a young man, but his description of him uh, indicates that he's talking about an angelic being of some kind with the, the white, you know, shining clothes and this statement of speaking on behalf of God, etc. So they, uh, they see the empty spot, they see this angel talking to them, and their minds are blown. <laughs> Something happened there that changed everything. It turned a reason to despair into a reason to hope. And whatever your reason is to despair or to lose heart, the resurrection gives us reason to hope. The angel's message focuses on these two most critical areas where we, uh, we tend to lose heart and tend to lose hope. In the first of these, we'll see that the resurrection offers hope for those who struggle to believe in Jesus. The angel says this, verse 6. He said to them, uh, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. It's interesting. It's all these kind of staccato little just statements. It says so much. It says volumes. Like, what do you mean? He's risen. He's not here. This is the Jesus of Nazareth. This is incredible. Don't be alarmed. Don't be, you know, dumbfounded. Well, the truth is, uh, what happened was amazing. It was supernatural. It was way beyond the ordinary, but it was not beyond belief. Because it happened. <laughs> Angel says, you don't need to be confused. You need to believe this. It says, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, he's risen. In other words, that same guy you saw there, he's risen. Connects the dots. The women in this story are the crucial link in this narrative. Um, we saw at the at last chapter, verse 40, um, the women were there and watched him breathe his last breath on the cross. These same women that are listed in this chapter. The women followed as they took uh, Jesus' limp corpse to the tomb. These same women saw him being placed on a shelf 
in that tomb. They saw the place where the body was laid. These same women saw the stone rolled in front. And the same women came back on Sunday morning and saw it empty. (laughs) They are the the link in this narrative to say that this is the same person. It wasn't like, uh, where was that tomb? I don't know. Somebody told me it was over there. No, they saw it all take place, and they were there to see the empty tomb. Notice the angel did not say, you seek the Christ who was crucified, or you seek the Son of God. But he says, you seek Jesus of Nazareth. I, I think this is why this is significant to me. In the beginning of the gospel, kind of, we might call it the title or the first line. Um, Mark says this is the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is kind of a, a shorthand for, for all that Jesus is. He, he's Jesus. He's, he's that, that human in history. You know, Jesus, down from Nazareth. We've all been there. We've seen that. He's the Christ. He's the anointed Messiah that was uh, promised. And he's the Son of God. He's divine, yet he's distinct from the Father. Very, very loaded. Well, all through Jesus' ministry, uh, basically after that very first verse, um, the whole rest of the book, say 15 chapters, um, the people who are watching Jesus and the people who are reading the account are pondering the question of, could this guy from Nazareth, could this Jesus, you know, we all know Jesus, he came from Nazareth, could this be the Messiah? I, I don't know. Could this Jesus of Nazareth really be the Son of God? And these are the questions that are raised. It's like, I, I don't know. Is it? And he gives lots of hints. Sometimes Jesus is real vague about it. Sometimes he, when people figure it out, he's like, shh, don't tell anybody yet. Really mysterious. So all through the book, we're wondering, okay, is this Jesus really the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God? Well, these women just saw this being, this person on the cross, die and then raise to life. And their question is not, uh, is this really, you know, is, is this really divine somehow? Their question is, is this really the same Jesus from Nazareth? And the angel says, yes, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. The guy you all know followed around. He is not here. He is risen. He puts it kind of all together for us. And, and the resurrection connects the dots. Throughout this series, we've looked at you know, this, um, uh, this acrostic or this, this acronym, the, the fish ichthus of Jesus, the Christ of God, the Son, and we've also seen that he is the Savior. So what's the, why is this so important? I think we live in a, a pluralistic culture that has all different kinds of ideas about Jesus. And one track or one line of thinking is, um, okay, yeah, there was this Jesus, this guy who lived, and he was apparently pretty impressive, um, but he was not supernatural. Maybe he was uh, prophetic. Maybe he was just a great teacher. Maybe he was a, a revolutionary. Maybe even a, an insurrectionist, whatever label. But he was, he was uh, just a person. That's, that's one line of of, uh, of thought about Jesus. Another line of thought about Jesus is, well, Jesus is just a God among other gods or another name for God or Jesus is an, is an ideal or a, or a concept or, or an ideology, but not, not like a real person in history. <laughs> and we get both of these sort of messages. And the resurrection 
And the, the words of the angel put all that together. It's like, this is the same guy. This is not um, in the lineup of religions. It's not a, it's not a competition of ideologies, of, of you know, you, you line up 10 people. Here's what they think about uh, the world and supernatural things, and each gives their shot at kind of explaining their theory. But instead, this is something that actually happened. This is somebody who, who died and then rose to life. It's a, it's a historical event, not just a concept or idea. That's how the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection offers hope for those who struggle to believe in Jesus. And so you don't need to be intimidated or disheartened or disillusioned about Jesus. As our culture has different ideas, you can say, well, my, my Savior uh, died and then he rose to life. <laughs> That gives me great confidence that he knew what he was talking about, and he was and is who he said he is. And the empty tomb is such a, a profound uh, symbol of all, that, um, of all that happened there. And the angel says, uh, behold the place where they laid him. You know, consider this. Think about the empty tomb for a moment. If Jesus was not, um, you know, the the human in history, a historical person, there, there wouldn't have been a tomb at all. <laughs> like you can't, you can't just bury, you know, a, a concept or a spiritual being or etc. And if Jesus was not God, then the tomb would not be empty. And so empty tomb means Jesus is the God-man and Savior. I, I've mentioned these, uh, some of these books before. If you're curious, like, well, how can we... How can we believe, you know, or know something for certain that happened a long time ago, etc.? Um, among others, these guys do a good job of kind of walking us through that. Um, Josh McDowell's evidence that demands a verdict or the resurrection factor, um, more than a carpenter. Uh, great books. Uh, Lee Strobel's uh, Case for Christ. And if you are a real reader, <laughs> uh, N.T. Wright's The Resurrection of the Son of God is a... Is a uh, a huge tome, but super profound. If that's where your hang-up is, is how can we know these things? How can we trust these things? Uh, these are a good place to go. Here's just kind of to just put this in a little capsule or to look at this from a different angle maybe. Before the resurrection, the disciples struggled to comprehend who Jesus was, even, even though they, they, they hung out with him all the time and walked around with him and watched him. Like, yeah, I don't know. I think he is. You know, maybe. I don't know. After the resurrection, they were willing to bet their lives on the fact that Jesus is God. So the resurrection changed everything. I want to invite you to let it change everything for you as well. (laughs) That because Jesus is alive, we can stake our lives on who he is. He's the Christ, the Son of God, and he's the Savior. But I venture to guess that um, perhaps maybe most of you in this room are already really convinced of that. That's not where the struggle is. Yeah, I, I believe that. I believe that for, for maybe decades, and, and I'm, I'm confident in that. But maybe the struggle for you is not to believe who Jesus is, but the struggle is, is simply to, to follow him, <laughs> to live the life of a disciple and not lose heart. 
I believe that the resurrection also offers hope for those who struggle to follow Jesus. Let's continue on in the, um, the message from the angel in verse 7. He gives these directions to the ladies. He says, But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Okay, interesting. We've come to uh, know and maybe identify with the track record of the disciples. <laughs> Where just as it looks like they're kind of getting it, they're like, no, they don't really get it. And, and they, they kind of flounder and, and they get some things but not other things. And Jesus keeps kind of, you know, teaching them, bringing that back in, correcting them. Ultimately, they just utterly failed. Uh, verse 50 of chapter 14 says uh, simply, and they all left him. <laughs> you know, at his most critical hour, all of his followers just, they took off. They left him. That, that's the track record of the disciples. And now the angel is saying, well, go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going to Galilee, and there you'll see him just as he told you. Go, we're going to go meet together again. Why is Peter mentioned separately? I, I assume it's because um, there's this focus on how pathetically, miserably, uh, Peter failed in repeatedly saying he didn't even know who Jesus was and wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Um, We're given that account in the previous uh, section. And yet here is the angel saying, oh, Jesus wants to meet you and the rest of the disciples. The angel's message of hope from Jesus to those who failed miserably was, okay, gather together. The scattered, demoralized, defeated disciples, you know, all those who really blown it. Yeah, even Peter, who denied he even knew me. And go back to Galilee, where this all started, and let's try this again. <laughs> but now, with the knowledge of the resurrection, and we see how it changed everything. The resurrection not only transformed the disciples' belief, a belief that they would die for, but it transformed their lives with the power of Encourage and hope to live for Christ, even when it's really hard. I love uh, Romans 6, uh, verse 4. It says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. This um, identifying with uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus. See, we, we were buried with him Um, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The resurrection gives us the the power, the ability, the the motivation, uh, however you want to describe it, to live an actually new life. Because of Jesus' death, we're forgiven and rescued, and because of his resurrection, we can walk in a newness of life. Something once dead in us has been made alive and and changed. As long as we're talking about Christmas things, I I don't know what the ritual is at your house, if you you do a tree or don't do a tree or if you put up lights, but but something that's pretty common is you, you decorate the tree all up and then you have this ceremonial, like, turn the lights on, boom, and, uh, and I think, well, the Christian life can be a lot like decorating that tree before the lights are put on. You know, you're trying to do this, putting all these things, like, okay, that's great. But then 
you come and turn those lights on, it's like, whoa, what a difference that makes. What a difference the resurrection makes, the, the energizing power that gives us hope to actually live out the life that we are called to live in Christ. It's the power to actually live a new life. So because of the resurrection, your life does not need to be characterized by spiritual failure. That doesn't need to be your, your, um, your characteristic, uh, habitual, the way you live. Granted, we'll all fail. That's why we continually need the grace of the Lord. But it doesn't need to be the, the overarching story of your day-to-day life where you say, I blew it again, there's no use trying. This real defeated. I guess this is just the way I am. I'm tired of feeling so guilty, so I'll just try not to think about it anymore. Or maybe we just go that other way of, oh, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. And you just kind of deflect it. It's like, ah, this is never going to get any better, so I'll just kind of try to think about that, make it somebody else's problem, etc. And to that, Jesus says, hey, join with the other disciples. Let's go back to the beginning and start again, but this time consider the resurrection. Consider that something inside you has been made alive if you have placed your trust in Christ. Because the resurrection offers hope for those who struggle to follow Jesus. Let's just for a moment look at this from a little, uh, maybe a little different angle. So first we said that the resurrection offers hope for those who struggle to believe in Jesus. Because the resurrection gives confidence that Jesus really is who he said he is. You know, if he's raised him from the dead, then really he is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior. And so that enables us, I'm hoping you're tracking with this flow of thought, that enables us to have hope no matter what terrible thing we're facing. If Jesus is who he says he is, then whatever thing we're facing, we can still have hope. If he's the Christ, he's the anointed one who ultimately will make all things right, then whatever you're facing, we can have confidence in that. If he's God who actually conquered death itself, then even death we don't need to fear. If he's the Savior, then your, your eternity is secure. You don't need to uh, worry about the, the consequences of your, of your guilt and, and sins. You're, you're forgiven. You have a Savior. So the resurrection assures us of who Jesus is, and when we are assured of who Jesus is, it means we can face any terrible thing that's before us. And I know some of you are in the middle of facing some terrible things. But also the resurrection offers hope for those who struggle to follow Jesus, as we've talked about, because it gives us uh, confidence to live for Jesus. And this means that you can have hope no matter what terrible thing you've done. <laughs> That's a great hope as well. Like the word message to Peter, hey, join with the other followers and uh, let's start over. Let, let's try this again, but now live in light of of a risen Savior. And there's this vital link in, in Mark's gospel and in the rest of the New Testament and, and in our lives. There's a vital link between these two major questions of who is Jesus and what does it mean to follow Jesus. Who is Jesus? 
and what does it mean to follow Jesus? Because you can only successfully follow Jesus if you've truly believed in Jesus. Uh, Christianity is not kind of a a self-improvement program or a set of principles to kind of be nicer or (laughs) anything like that. Christianity is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, through placing your total trust in who Jesus is. And then he transforms you from the inside out, and you can live for him. The vital link between who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. So, I just want to ask you this. Does the Christian life sometimes feel like some of these things? Does it feel like external demands rather than something that's alive inside? (laughs) As you you approach the Christian faith or you approach church or whatever, does it just feel like all these external demands or does it feel like something has been made alive inside? Okay, does Christianity feel like this code to follow rather than a living relationship with a living Jesus? Where you talk, you listen, you follow, you obey, you respond. Does, is the Christian life more stifling than it's life-giving for you? Is it more a source of frustration than a source of life and of joy and of hope. If your life is characterized by those, those former things as you try to follow Jesus, I, I just want to suggest perhaps you've never come to that place where you've actually placed your trust in who Jesus really is. And it would be a real disservice uh, to all of you if we didn't often come back to this very thing. Because again, the Christian life is not about just trying to follow the program, <laughs> be good. It's about trusting your eternity into the hands of Jesus, who is the Christ and Messiah, who is the Son of God, and he is your Savior. So through these weeks of, of Advent, we'll be unwrapping these big gifts. You know, and today's big gift is, is hope. Uh, I love the gift of hope. It's one of those profound, you know, transformative uh, gifts from God. But the greatest gift is actually Jesus himself. (laughs) That, he is the gift. Jesus' gift to us is Jesus. We need to embrace him by faith. And for all those who believe in Jesus, here's our, our parting challenge, is to make the resurrection your reason for hope. Let that be the the driving, uh, life-giving motivation for uh, for your your life of a follower as a follower of Jesus. Well, Mark concludes the scene in this way in verse 8. He says, They went out and they fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Uh, Eventually, they got around to telling everybody, but their first, their first response was just to freak out, uh, as probably we all would. Um, but uh, they, they looked at the tomb, they saw the empty place, and they went out and uh, were, were changed by that. This morning, we've spent um, you know, a half hour or something kind of looking at the empty tomb <laughs> and what it means. 
And my question is, how, how are we going to go out from here uh, different? Will we let it transform us? Or will it just be, um, just, you know, one more Sunday? One more uh, Christmas Easter message. No, I don't know. You probably don't get a lot of those. So we looked at the tomb. How will we go out from here? I'm so thankful for the hope uh, that God has given us because of Jesus. Uh, Let's just, as the team comes back up, let's just give thanks to the Lord for that this morning. Heavenly Father, you know so much how to give good gifts. You're the best gift giver ever, and uh, we're so thankful for that. We praise you for your your brilliance, uh, for your wisdom, and for your sacrifice, because you gave us your Son. Thank you for the hope that we can have because of Jesus, because of the resurrection, because our our master is... um, is not just someone who, who lived and died and had great ideas, but our master is alive and well and is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so we can be filled with hope, and we are just overwhelmed with thankfulness for that. Lord, may you continue to just daily captivate our hearts in this season as we set our minds on you and do this for your sake and for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.